Good morning. Today we're, uh, we're back in Galatians. We're in uh, chapter 2. We're going through verses 19 through 21. It's Galatians chapter 2, 19 through 21. And it's about uh, the law and how we are dead to the law and how we live by faith. There's a, an illustration I want to use. We have this picture of a sign. Can anyone read what this picture says? It's in. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, it's a sign over the uh, Nazi concentration camp of Auschwitz, um, and it says, work sets you free. And so the people that were taken in on buses and trains uh, or trucks into the concentration camps, they would have read this sign that work sets you free, and they would have been given this, this false hope that one day maybe if I just keep on working harder and harder, then maybe one day they'll set me free and I'll get out of here. But as we all know, they, far too many of them ended up dying you know, in these camps by one way or the other. They were given a false hope. And it was, uh, it's the same concept the, uh, that's uh, very widespread in the world uh, with false religions, where it says that work will set you free. That if you be a good enough of a person, or if you um, be nice enough to others, or if you go to church enough, or if you read, read your Bible enough, then you're going to be saved and you're going to go to heaven. That God will look past everything in your life and say, you worked hard enough to earn this, so I'll let you into heaven. But that is a lie that the world tells you. But here is the truth. We believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You cannot add works to salvation. You cannot add the law to salvation. And in the instance of Galatians, the topic they're going through, you can't add circumcision to salvation. Because if you add circumcision, you have to add everything that the law contains, all 613 laws, and you have to live by those. But you can't add those to salvation. Can the law save you? No, the, uh, the law is actually what condemned you. Um, but who is the one that saved you? Is it the law or is it Christ? It's Christ who saved you. And in case you weren't here this past few weeks, um, just to summarize what's happening leading up to this point in uh, Galatians uh, 19 through 21. Um, there were these um, false uh, teachers who came into the city of Antioch um, and they taught the people that you must follow the, follow the law and be circumcised in order to be saved. Um, Peter, you know, and Paul rebuked Peter um, because he wasn't being straightforward about what the gospel really is about. Um, he wasn't being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And Peter's actions um, about turning back to the law as a means to salvation, it really begs the question, um, are we saved by keeping the law and doing good works? Or are we saved uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? In Christ alone, yeah. 
Um, Paul responds you know, to Peter, and he says, you know, certainly not. We're not going to be saved by works or the law. Um, it's the law that reveals your sin and condemns you, um, and it could never actually save you. If you add the law to salvation, if you, add, if you have grace and faith in Christ alone, and then you add the law, then you, you actually make Christ a liar, and you make yourself a sinner, and Christ's death would actually be in vain. The law only condemns you, and it cannot save you. There's a clear difference. Um, you can put this slide down. Uh, there's a clear difference between what the, uh, the law did for you and what Christ did for you. The law, it gave you a list of commands. It said, do this, do that, and don't do this, and don't do that. But Christ said on the cross, it is finished. It is done. The law brought you sin and it brought death. But Christ brought freedom and life. The law declares you guilty and it imprisons you in the slavery of the law. But faith in Christ sets you free to enjoy liberty in Christ. The law only brought a curse. But Christ brought you blessing and he became a curse for you. The law calls you a slave, but Christ calls you a son. And finally, the law told you to die, but Christ said, no, I'll, I'll die for you. The law condemned you to death, and its only purpose was to help you to realize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. It's like a tutor guiding you to Christ. So that the only option you can say is, well, I can't do this on my own. I'm dead. I need a savior. And the only option you have is Christ who died for you. So there is a place that the law has in your life. The, the law has a place in the believer's life. Uh, and so we want to ask, is the gospel that saves, is it through faith alone, in Christ alone, um, by grace alone, or is it by keeping the law? If you must keep the law also, let's see. Actually, we'll skip that, actually. Uh, let's, let's read with uh, verse 19. It's uh, Galatians 2, 19 through 21. It says, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Another way you can look at the uh, verse 19 is that for I, through the law, died to the demands that the law had on me. Um, all the demands that said, you know, you must do this and don't do this and keep this commandment and follow this law. Um, but as believers, we have died to these demands of the law. We couldn't keep them anyways. They were impossible. It demanded perfection. So... With verse 19, we see that trying to keep the law only resulted in death. 
Um, and we really completely failed when we tried to keep the law. Um, we broke it again and again and again and again, and then um, there was no hope in sight. Um, There's no hope of salvation through the law. It, it didn't offer any grace or forgiveness or love um, or any plan to restore us back to God. All it did was it pointed the finger at us and said, you're condemned and you're going to die. So we see that the penalty for uh, failing to keep the law is the death sentence. I want to get a volunteer to sit in a chair for me. Can someone take a seat? Now, now before you sit, I want to tell you what this chair is. So, you're a sinner, and you're condemned, and this is the electric chair. Take a seat. Uh, I think I'll sit over there. No. It's ready for you. It's got your name on it. No? There must be some other chair to sit on. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, let's see, I'll leave this here. You can, you can sit down in your regular chair. <laughs> um, this electric chair um, is the death penalty, the death sentence that you deserve for the sin. Um, and going back to the law as a way of salvation, so this is, the law condemned you to die this way and saying, okay, well, I'm going to turn away from the law and you know, believe in Christ, that you know, he saved me. It's by his grace through the faith I have in Christ alone. But then I'm going to say, well, I'm going to go back and uh, keep the law still. Does that make any sense? It's like clinging to an electric chair as like a way of salvation. It's only going to kill you. There's no hope. There's no way of salvation through the law. It doesn't make any sense to go back to the law as a means of salvation. So how did we die to the law and the demands that it had on us? The answer is found in Christ. We see this in uh, Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead, um, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions uh, which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So let me ask you one more time, how did you die to the law? Is it it's through the, uh, the body of Christ that you died to the law? You, were di you have died to what you were held by and Christ paid your death sentence in full. He died in your place. He died for you. He, he sat down on that chair, or on that cross. 
and he died for you as if he were you. And so you don't need to sit on this electric chair anymore. You can put it away. When, uh, when Christ died, the sinner that you, you were before you were saved, that died. And it no longer lives. Christ doesn't see that in you anymore. He just sees you as perfect and righteous and holy. He doesn't see the, the wickedness and the filth and dirt that you had before you were saved. He just sees you as his son. The, uh, the great thing is that when he died, he died, and he met all of the righteous demands that the law had, um, had um, so that they don't bind you anymore. You're not held to these uh, things anymore. It's like you were imprisoned in shackles, and Christ broke it, and now you're free. So you have you this picture of a, you have freedom. Christ broke the, uh, the bondage that you were into the law. And now you're free. He took your place and paid your entire debt. So there's no reason for you to go back and say, well, I have one more sin to pay for. And let me sit on this chair. And let me be good enough and go back and sit on the chair. There's no, no reason. He paid your entire debt. There's nothing left for you to pay. Praise God that Jesus paid it all. We see this uh, triumphant... Um, Triumphantly, in uh, Colossians 2, uh, verses 13 to 14, it says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So you're no longer held to the law. You're dead to it. And so let's speculate for a minute. So say you're at work. Um, let's bring this to a practical level. Um, you have a coworker, and they say, uh, you get you know, to talking about the, the Bible and God, and they say, well, I, I believe that I'm going to go to heaven because God sees that I'm a good person. God sees that I go to church you know, once a week. I read the Bible every day. Um, I'm nice to people, you know, I volunteer you know, a couple times a week, um, you know, I, I say excuse me, and so based on that, I'm pretty sure God's going to say, okay, welcome into heaven. Um, but what would you say to somebody like that, knowing um, this verse, uh, that, that the law does not save What would, you, what would you say? Anybody can answer. Although it's described what a person does after you say all those good works, but mm-hmm. that's not how a person is saved. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Good works um, that you do are result, a result of uh, the love you have for God um, as a way of saying thank you, you know, for saving me. You live a life 
um, of good works, but they don't save you. It's just a, as a, a way of you know, showing your love back to God for how much he loved you. But the works themselves do not save you. Um, and you can't become more saved by doing more good works either. Um, and you could even respond in telling this person, well, you know, they think they're a good person, but what is the definition of a good person? You know, is it somebody who murders or is it somebody who, um, you know, is a serial killer or, you know, and how do you define, you know, doing good? Is it helping out in a soup kitchen once a week or is it two times a week or is it three times a week? You know, what's the definition of a good person and how do you know when you finally have reached good, you know? There's no way, you know, the bar is set so high by God that he demands perfection. And every day we fail. So there's no way we can make the cut. Um, Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The works cannot save a person. Um, If you, the moment you add works as a means to salvation, you miss the entire point that the gospel is of grace. It's not a gospel of works. If, if Christ came and didn't save us, and if all he did was tell us to live up to a higher moral standard, then we would be even more dead because we couldn't even live up to the law that he already had. If he gave us more rules and didn't save anybody, then we would have even less of a chance. But Christ did not come to give us more rules. Christ came to save our souls and to forgive us our sins. So now that we are dead to sins, uh, dead to the law, we can live to God. 1 Peter uh, 2, uh, 24 says this, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died uh, to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So how can you live your life for God? You can glorify God with your life and in your body. And everything you do, you can put it through the filter of Christ and say, you know, if this is, this is uh, how Christ would act, how should I act? You know, kind of... This is me, imperfect, and this is Christ, the perfect example. How can I be molded more to be like him? Put all of your thoughts and your actions um, and your habits, um, your career, everything, your lifestyle, your words, put it through a filter of Christ and say, how is this going to make me more Christ-like so that I can glorify God through this life? We, uh, we move on to... Uh, verse 20 of the uh, passage. And we see that the law's demands were satisfied by Christ and not by you. Um, can you play the, uh, the slides? That one, okay. So this is uh, a good uh, verse about our position in Christ. We have, uh, our position is way up here as believers. We uh, are perfect and holy and blameless and righteous, and um, 
God views us in an amazing way. But our practice is way, way down here. And I'll be the first to admit that mine is at the bare bottom of all of you. Our practice needs to match what our um, position is. So we need to realize what our position is, first of all. And it's something that really sets you free um, to live your life for God, is knowing uh, what God has done for you and how, view, how God views you. Um, and so how you can change your life through your practice also. So we're going to run through these uh, really quickly. Uh, one thing I want to say is that you are in Christ. Everything uh, in these next few verses, you're identified in Christ. You were with Christ when these things happened. Uh, we see this in Second uh, Corinthians five seventeen. It says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold." All things have become new. In Christ, you've been given a new identity. You are in Christ, and you have been made new. The law of sin and death, they don't have any binds on you. you know, you're not bound to them anymore. Your position in Christ is that you are a new creation. And uh, we move on to being dead to the law. So, I am dead to the law, because when Christ died, I died. So you were crucified, you were dead, and you were buried with Christ. So you identify, because Christ is in you. Romans uh, 6, 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. You weren't physically crucified with him, but in a spiritual sense. And since the law demanded death, um, Christ took our place, and he was crucified as if he were you. In God's eyes, you're no longer seen as an unholy sinner, but you're seen as a righteous person in his sight. The laws demands and the wrath of God have both been satisfied when Christ was crucified for you. Your position in Christ is that you have been crucified with him. You are also dead. Romans 6, 8 says this, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Um, let's see. The sinner that you used to be before you were saved has died. It breathed its final breath on the cross when Christ died. The law's demands were satisfied when Christ died for you. Your position in Christ is that you have died with Christ. And then finally, you were buried with him. Romans 6, 4 says, uh, We were therefore buried with him through baptism. In God's sight, the sinner that you used to be was crucified, it died, and it was buried. And since it was buried, it no longer lives. Um, and you're no longer living a life by the law in order to earn God's favor. 
The law's demands were satisfied when Christ was buried for you. Your position in Christ is that you were buried with him. So the verse, it says that, For I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so the old you has died. That's your position. And now you have been made alive with Christ. When Christ rose from the dead, you rose a new life. You have been raised and you have been made alive. Colossians 3.1 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. The old sinner that controlled your, um, you before you were saved, guess where it is? It's still in the grave. But you have been raised uh, with Christ. When Christ rose, you rose. And Christ is now living in you giving you life. Your position in Christ is that you have been raised with Christ. And then finally, you have been made alive with Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 uh, through 5 says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God made you alive <laughs> And Christ is your life. In God's sight, you are holy, righteous, redeemed. You are alive together with Christ. So the two main points I want you to get out of your position in Christ is that all of the law's demands on you were satisfied by Christ when he died for you as if he were you. The wrath of God was satisfied completely. Christ satisfied the law, not you. So there's no reason to turn back to it and uh, look at it as a means for salvation because Christ has already satisfied it. He accomplished what you could never do. And second of all, you were crucified with Christ. You died with Christ. You were buried with Christ. You were raised with Christ. And you were made alive together with Christ. All of these things are your position your position in Christ. But your practice is often far from it. And mine is also very far from it. So it is no longer I who live. Uh, Luke, can you put the next one on? So there's two different eyes in this verse. I'll, I'll just use two hands to explain it, I guess. So the, the green one is who you were. And the, the yellow one is who you now are. So the green is up here. So it, I'll read it through. It says, this will be the hand that says my old, who I was, and this is who I am now. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live uh, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. 
There's a new I that lives in you. You've been given a new identity, and Christ lives in you. And so three things. You, you live to God. You now have Christ living in you, and you now live by faith. You live to God, uh, and you have freedom and liberty in Christ that you didn't previously have when you were under the law. Um, you can now live your life to God. And everything you do should be to, uh, for his glory, to bring him praise and honor, um, and not for your own pleasure, not for the old eye, for the new eye. You now have Christ living in you. Christ died for you so that he could live in you and through you. Christ is living his life in your body, and he's directing you and molding you to be more and more like him every day. He's guiding your every word, every thought, every action and habit and character quality that you have and every step that you have in life. And he's making you more like him. He's living in you. You now live by faith and you take um, each day as as it's given to you. You live by faith and you trust that God will be faithful to you and continue to be faithful to provide for you. Let's see. So we now live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Can you put a... Let's see. That's good. Um, before, when you are under the curse of the law, it was impossible for you to do enough good things to please God. The amazing thing is that now you can please God. You can bring glory to Him. The key verse, uh, the key word in this, uh, this verse is that it's by faith. I live by faith. Hebrews uh, 11.6 says this, But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, to, to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You must first believe that God exists. So that's something that we all, if we're believers, can agree on, that we believe that God exists. That's the very foundation of our faith. We believe that God exists and that he sent his son into the world to save our souls, to save us from sin, and to give us new life, that he, was, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again to new life, and that he now gives us new life. And you also believe by faith that God can fulfill all the promises that he has for you. If he tells you he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Faith is about taking God at his word, day by day, and just saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I believe and I'm going to obey. Here's a a couple practical examples of great faith um, in in history. Um, And it's where people were in these situations that were just um, impossible. They had no chance, um, no, no realistic um, 
deliverance. Um, they were in situations that just didn't make any sense to them. Um, but God told them to do something, and they believed by faith, and God answered. Um, God told Noah to spend 100 years building an ark on dry land because God promised that a flood was coming to destroy the earth. God told Moses to lead a million Israelites into the wilderness only to have them uh, cornered at the Red Sea by the uh, most dangerous army at the time. Um, but God said that he would deliver them. God told Joshua to have his army walk around Jericho and shout and uh, blow their trumpets and the walls will come tumbling down. These people live by faith. In these stories of faith, we see that they live by faith and they simply obey. They didn't have a lot of faith necessarily, but they just took the faith that they had and they placed it in God's hands. They said, we're going to obey. Whatever you say, we're going to believe it. Um, they had impossible situations, but they lived by faith. So we don't always know the answer as to, you know, well, why is God putting me in this situation? And how is he going to deliver me? And when is this going to happen? And um, what's going to come as a result of it? Um, those questions come up and um, doubt creeps in to faith. But the only question that really matters is who is telling me that this is going to happen? Who is telling me to live by faith? And it's God that's asking you to live by faith. And so that's all you really need to know. We don't know all the answers in life. We don't have all... We have a million questions, but it seems like we have no answers sometimes. But God simply wants you to put your faith in him and obey what he has for you. The key to faith is obedience. If you have faith that small as a mustard seed, God can use that faith and move mountains. But if you hold on to it and have doubts and say, well, I don't know if God's going to really answer this thing in my life, this trial I'm going through, then, I don't know, God might not use that if you don't believe that he's going to help you. God wants you to obey um, in your faith. And we see that these three examples of Noah and Moses and, um, uh, and Joshua, that God delivered these people as he promised. He told them that this is going to happen, and he made it happen. Because Noah was delivered because God said it would happen. He said that a flood would come, and a flood came and destroyed the earth. And Noah was delivered with his family. Moses and the, Egypt, and the Israelites were at the Red Sea. And that Red Sea parted because God said that they would be delivered. Jericho fell flat. The walls came tumbling down because God said that it would happen. These people had faith and they put it into action. They took the impossible and God made it possible for them. So when you run into a situation where there's nothing you can do, where there's nothing that makes any sense, there's nothing uh, 
There's no answer in sight, and there's questions everywhere as to how this is going to happen. Um, when there's nowhere else you can turn to except for God, you can be confident that God will be there to help you. It's, faith is uh, getting you to depend on God for your needs. The life that we now live, we live by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We see um, in Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We live by faith because Christ gave himself for us, because he loved you. You put the uh, picture of that. This is a child jumping into the parent's arms. Do you think the parent loves the child? Would the parent catch the child if the, the parent didn't love the child? No. The, the, the father says to the daughter, jump, I'll catch you. Just trust me. I got you. I'll catch you. Don't worry about it. And the, the child has a little bit of faith and she's scared and has questions and says, well, I'm, but I'm really high up and I might hurt myself and I might fall and what if you're too far and what if this and what if that? But she just takes a little bit of faith that she has and trusts that her father will catch her and jumps. She takes the leap of faith and the father catches her because he loves her and he doesn't want to hurt her he only wants to protect her. So you can trust that your heavenly father will also love you and catch you in whatever situation you're in. He won't let you fall. He won't let you get hurt. He's going to protect you and he's going to fulfill any promise in the, in the word. And uh, finally, verse 21. We don't set aside the grace of God. It says in verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if, righteous, if, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Law keeping for righteousness, um, what it does is it sets aside the grace of God. It, it says, thank you for the grace and I believe, you know, that you've given me this grace, but, you know, I don't really want it right now. I'm just going to put it to the side. And what I'm going to say is I want to void that grace. I don't want it. You put the, the void sign on there. If you, if you set aside the grace of God, what you're really saying is this grace, I don't want it. It's void. You know, it's, it's like saying to a judge, you know, you're a murderer on trial, and this judge gives you a pardon, um, and you say, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, judge. I appreciate it so very, very much, but, um, you know, thank you for this grace that you have given me, but I still want to finish my life sentence, and then I want to be executed for my punishments, please. It doesn't make any sense. Don't make void the grace of God. Don't set it aside. Freely accept it if you haven't already.
if you can be declared righteous by the laws, uh, the law keeping, then Christ's uh, death is worthless. And he died for nothing. He didn't die, but he didn't die for nothing. If you could keep the law and be a good enough person um, and you could save yourself and be perfect, then Christ really died in vain. If you could be your own savior and keep the law perfectly, then there is no reason for Christ to even come because you're all set. You don't need a savior. But that's not the case for any of us. The entire world um, has fallen short of God's standard of perfection. We don't even have a chance. It's impossible that we could be perfect. Um, the law only reveals your sin and condemns you, and it can't save you. If you believe that you're saved through grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, and by keeping the law, then you would be making yourself a sinner and Christ a liar and his death would be in vain. His death would be meaningless if you add the law to salvation. But if you place your faith in Christ, he can save you and he will save you. Christ's death was not meaningless because we couldn't save ourselves. The only one who could save us was Christ. And for those who are believers here, who were condemned by the law before we were saved, we have this great triumphant verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. When you are saved, you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. You began by faith and not by works. Now continue to live the rest of your life living by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we're grateful for another morning where we can study your word and get to know you more about how we are justified and saved by faith alone. It is by grace and in Christ alone that we are saved. That we couldn't do it by ourselves. We needed a Savior. Lord, thank you. And help us to remember um, our position in Christ and to make our practice uh, match up to it. We pray all these things, Lord, in your name. Amen.